Here we go. Uh, we are live right now with Tucker Max, uh, best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, three yep. million books sold, and um, you have a very, very interesting history, right? And you, you were one of the original, I would say, bloggers. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I was like writing on the internet before blog was a word. When were you writing on the internet? My, I put my first stuff on the internet, I think it was like September of 02, or maybe... Yeah, it was. Okay. Because it was, I remember it was, I was so like deep into like getting my, like learning how to program HTML yes. and stuff. Cause yeah, that yeah. was back when that was the way to post yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like GeoCities was still new then. Um, I remember I'd forgotten that it was the first anniversary of 9 11. Mm. So it was right before then. So it was like late 02. So the timing of the content that you were putting out was not necessarily the best thing to no. post on the anniversary. No, it would have been better than on 9 11, but right. it was still not great timing. So, and for uh, our demographic is typically, you know, at some, we swing, sway major, uh, majorly women. Right. Um, if, you, if you had to say what was the type of content that you were writing back then, right. uh, what so, would you say? Uh, all the stuff that men and women do in their 20s. That's stupid and reckless and ridiculous. Getting drunk, throwing up on yourselves, hooking up. Yes. I did all the same stuff everyone does. I just wrote stories about it. That is true. And it's funny. I actually remember being in the computer lab of Longwood University and my roommate Dishner saying, you got to read this right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so we would we would read it and then we were hooked. You know, yeah. how often were you actually publishing at that time? Were you publishing it, you know, every day, every week? Man, it was like whenever something happened, I would go write about it. Yeah. So, now, back then... Like analytics and stuff were very, we were hits, right? Yeah. You maybe had a hit counter. Yeah, right, right. What, 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 what type of traffic? What type of, you know, what, what did you see back um, then? So, I, I only before uh, my big sort of jump, I was maybe five hundred, a thousand hits a day. Yeah. So a couple hundred people maybe yeah. uh, per day. Uh, I didn't really see anything big until I got sued uh, by this girl, and I won. But it was like a big, it was a big First Amendment case. It was one of the first uh, internet sort of First Amendment cases. In fact, it was really the first. And so it was like front page of New York Times and yeah. AP Wire and everything. And um, we got, I remember the site kept going down. I think I got over 100,000 hits in a day. And this is like when 40 million people were on the internet. Right. Like in 0102, exactly. it was like 10, 20, 30% of the American population or something. And so it was an insane amount of people. And over that week, it was like a million or something crazy or millions, whatever. So it was some insane, insane number. Um, now, did GeoCities you know. contact you at any time or like, hey, you know, we, we either don't want this or it's way too much traffic? No. It, uh, well, so I, I had so many different jerry-rigged ways of doing stuff. It was, it was total Wild West. Like yeah. people think it's crazy now. That was really truly like yes like rubber cement and string holding everything together how old were you at the time when all this was happening 27 i started writing at 27 27 so you already had kind of done the college thing you went to went law, to law school, school yeah and then you had everything happen after that you know you went out to you got a job in Fenwick and west in silicon valley like the firm that represents google and facebook and whatever they fired me after three weeks so i was not very good at being right. a lawyer and so uh, you these the blogs that you eventually were writing right. they started off as emails right email chains to friends yeah. right yeah so well so I, I after i got fired from fenwick and west i went to work for my father um you know he has restaurant stuff order where you're from max's grill and those places yep. and then my dad fired me from the family business i've been and, fired from my family business too. <laughs> yeah. so it was it was depressing and my buddies were like um like well you're not very good at law you're not very good at business <laughs> But these emails that you've been writing us over the last year are right. the funniest thing I've ever seen. Because, you know, after we left law school, it was like, you know, you drink with your friends, you talk about it the next day. We were all in different cities. So I would, like, I missed my friends. I was lonely. So I'd write them emails about the dumb things I would do because I hated my life in South right. Florida. And uh, and they thought they were the funniest things ever. So they they, they forwarded those around to their friends yeah. and became like email chains. And they're like, dude, this is what you're doing that's really good. You should focus on this. But it was funny. I n it never occurred to me that I was a writer right. or that writing was something I would do. Uh, and then that's – so I tried to get a, my, my stuff published, my emails, like in a book. Every agent, every publisher, everyone, thousands of queries. And that was like when you had to like mail them yes. like in the postal service, yeah. like the actual mail mail. Uh, 100% rejection. I mean literally 100% rejection. And so I put my stuff up on the internet for free, which is so funny. Like the the emails that became the bulk, the 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 core of a book that ended up creating a new literary genre and selling millions of copies, 
people whose entire job it is is to find content right. to publish all rejected it right. 100%. <laughs> and so then I put it on the internet. It blew up. The publishers came back to me. And that was... No, at any point were you like, nah, screw it. I can do it on my own. I or did I can, for a while. Yeah. But oh, oh, that was 03, 04. It was, it was still really hard to self-publish. Like yeah. it was not impossible, but it was essentially impossible. So how long as you're writing these, uh, these blog posts, right. how long... Uh, until you actually say, I'm going to turn this into a book. I knew from the beginning. Yeah. Not from the beginning. Um, once my friends told me these things are more than just emails, and then I, I started seeing them forwarded around to other people and forwarded back to me from other people. Yep. I'm like, okay, people like this. Then I was like, well, why can't it be a book? Why can't it be a movie? Why can't yeah. it be whatever? Because they're just funny stories, right? Um so uh, yeah, well, then I started getting into my head, and then it was like publishers that came back, back and forth, and I tried to do it myself. It just wasn't possible. Then right. now it's super easy. And the books then were pu- the book was published. I served beer in hell. Uh, I hope they served beer. beer in hell. Right. That was published when two thousand six, January of two thousand six. I and signed the deal in like late '04, and then it came out. In how like, quickly did you realize that that was a hit? That that was you know a bestseller. First weekend, it first was weekend. New York Times bestseller the first weekend because. Excuse me. Here's a great lesson for anyone out there who's thinking about writing. I had, um, I put up a website first because no one would publish me, and then I collected email addresses the whole time. Yeah. So by the time my book launched, I had like fifty or hundred thousand email addresses. So I sold five thousand copies my first week with zero press. Right. No one covered my book. No New York. No one. New York Times. Nobody. Nobody talked about it. Uh, and then out of nowhere, this random book hit the bestseller list because my fans bought it. Because I'd been giving my stuff away for years. You know? Now, after that book came out and you had the success, like how long was it like, was the, were you riding that high? Like, you know, you just hit New York Times bestseller. Now I'm thinking book two, book three, book four. When, and when does the movie come in the head of saying? So I, the smart thing would have been to keep writing my success and writing uh, books. And I had more books in me. But I was really excited. You know, you get a little taste of success. You kind of want to ratchet up too quickly if you're young and arrogant and stupid like I was. Uh, And so I was like right for TV movies. Like I I didn't, I should, there's nothing wrong with going after that. But when you have a success in a certain way and a certain foundation, you want to keep building that foundation so the other things can be built on top of it. Right. If you try and level up too quickly, you're usually not ready. And at least I definitely wasn't. And so um, I spent a lot of time in Hollywood. I sold the TV show twice, didn't get made twice. Rights revert back, reverted back twice. Then I finally got the movie made, uh, and it turned out to be kind of the worst experience of my life. So let's let's talk about that. So it, it's a <laughs> do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> so you're riding this high, you know, massive blogger, massive you know following audience. You're right. probably going out, and people may see you like, oh, at that point, I'm, yeah. I'm getting kind of well you're, known. You're you're a celebrity, right? right. Mm-hmm. And so this is such a it's a building high at yeah. this point. And so you, when you, before it even, before it even goes out, you probably, and I know nothing about movies and stuff. I'm sure you probably see it before it goes, before it gets, Well, I was, right? I mean, I wrote the screenplay. Right. I helped, I, I, I was produced it. So I wasn't sure. the only producer, right. like not the expert. I was involved. I was on set filming. I mean, I was as involved as you can be. So, and again, I, I could be ignorant to the whole Hollywood thing, um, but does, do you test it or do you say tomorrow it's hitting theaters and yeah I mean we had a bunch of tests it actually tested super well okay. like uh, it was amazing how well uh, it, it screened um, it's a funny movie in right. a lot of different ways it had problems I mean there were it's a, a scene a movie that had a lot of major problems but had a lot of funny scenes right uh, and then also just the way we marketed it and the way we went about everything about it was so and what point from the movie release let's say it's it's going it's it's going out tonight, right? Right. Um, till the results in which you said, you know, it's it might be the one. I mean, you things. know, uh, you know, movie numbers almost real time. Really. Now. And that was '09. It came out, so it wasn't that far. Like we knew what was going to happen the first weekend, second weekend. You know, like we knew. And so, and one of the art- it did not do well. Obviously. One of your articles and blogs that I read said you actually cried that night when you realized that it was. And how, like, seriously, how tough was that? Like, because you had put everything into it. I'm not a person that cries a lot. It was right. obviously real tough, dude. It was. Here's the problem. The problem was I had attached so much of my identity to that movie that, like, it wasn't that something I tried didn't work. It was like I didn't work. Right. You know? And it's so many people do that in so much of their art is they confuse what they do with who they are. Right. Um, and... That's probably why it ended up being a bad movie, uh, quite honestly, 
is not probably why it is why is a lot of the mistakes I made and a lot of the problems that came up making it were because I had so much tied into myself and and how this movie made me look and right. and, and so much of that was unconscious sure it really led to a lot of bad decisions that led to a bad movie and then it was like I felt really quite honestly I felt really terrible about myself because I had so much of my identity wrapped up in in, in my art but that's really Pretty bad way to make art. There's a difference between expressing yourself right. and seeing art as yourself. Exactly. And so, are, is Tucker Max done with movies for now, or do we hope to get yeah, back yeah, into yeah. them? Yeah, I mean, it's not. I'm sure I'm going back into filmed entertainment, no doubt, because the future is video and sure. screen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. obviously, right? Uh, but I'm going to do it a different way. Um, not just emotionally different, but also from a whole different financial position, a whole different uh, creative position. The main thing, man is that um, it took me a long time to realize that the reason I screwed up the movie is because I made it all about me. Even though my stories are about me, they were never, my stories really weren't about me. Right. If you read my stories, you're going to laugh your ass off, you're going to think it's hilarious, but you actually don't know much at all about me as a person because the point of the stories are to entertain, yes. not, to, to, not for me to pontificate and rant. Sure. Um, I made the movie, the creation of the movie, especially about me and satisfying my ego, which is really why it stunk. The next, when I get back into film, it's going to be in a way where it's not about me. It's about creating the best art possible. Got it. So after the, so after the, the movie thing happens, you, you kind of take a big hit. Uh, you move into other businesses, right? You started saying, at this, are you making any more, are you blogging anymore? Are you writing any more for? Yeah, so I, I, I had two more books to finish. Okay. I finished those. Okay. They came out. They did really well. Got it. That was all great. Gotcha. That was all fun. And then you started some other businesses after that. Mm -hmm. And how did those do after? So one was a publishing company because the way that that book publishing works is so screwed up. Yeah. I kind of um, I kind of reversed the model. So instead of getting an advance and having a publisher like own the rights, I actually did a deal where they just distributed. I owned my own rights. And then I made all the profit on the book. Yep. I had to put money up front. When, if you have an audience, you can totally do that. It works well. It's sort of like self-publishing, except I uh, did mainstream distribution, right? right. That I, I turned that into a company uh, that was going to do it for other authors. I ended up selling that to somebody else because I realized I didn't want to be in that business. And then I did a couple of other sort of smaller things. Sure. Nothing big. Um, and mostly I invested after that. I did a lot of angel investment, yep. startup investment. And, stuff. and then uh, one of your blog post I was reading said, you know, you seem to have gotten a lot in your own way right. in those yeah. in those businesses, et cetera. And so while you are doing those and you're doing some angel investing, you're doing well on that side. Right. Um, at, at what point is there, and is there a point where you kind of say, you know what, this way is not working, right? You know, this is, this is, I don't want to kind of go this way because what you've, how you've been writing now has been a lot different but the same at the same time yeah. um, than your previous. What, was there ever a point during that kind of journey between, I don't know whether it was like 2009, 2012, right. that you kind of like shifted a little bit? Do you remember anything like that? Because I know meeting your wife yeah. was a big deal, but was there yeah. anything before that was kind of like, yeah, this is kind of not working for me? Yeah, I mean, well, the, after the, 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 the time you brought up, like when, when the movie did poorly and I like, um, I got upset, I cried, whatever. Like it was, um, it, it was one of those things that became sort of the uh, this like the the spark that set off a whole chain series of events. And basically, what happened in my life is I had to realize after that I I kind of I don't want to say I went in search of happiness, but I was like I was pretty miserable, and so I I fixed everything. Yes. In my life. And once I feel like everything external, like I was already in good shape. I got in amazing shape. I already ate well, I, like I, even better, whatever. Like, uh, you know, I made money. I, I got to this point, maybe about two or three, four years after the movie where like I had everything I ever thought I wanted and way more. Right. And I, I wasn't miserable uh, anymore. I was way better than when I was poor and starting off, but I, I wasn't really that happy. Sure. And so once you deal with everything external, so unhappy, you got to kind of turn that inwards. You got to realize maybe it's me, right? Right. And so for me, it was I, I then had to kind of go on a road of not discovery, more healing. Sure. At first, I had to accept. Okay, the problem's inside of me. Now I've got to fix it. Now and I, I got to ask for help. You know, like no no man is an island. No man, you can't fix yourself. Uh, even if you're doing things to help yourself, someone else is guiding you. You're getting help a lot of places. 
Um, and uh, it's for me, there's a lot of ways to kind of fix yourself or to, or to help yourself. For me, it started with uh, therapy. Yep. And it started with psychoanalysis was the specific modality I used. It worked really well with and me. And could you just explain psychoanalysis so real psychoanalysis quick? Psychoanalysis, it's a specific type of talk therapy. Right. It's pretty intense. Everybody should talk to somebody. Right. It's just a specific type. Right. And there's a lot of different types. Uh, this way, it, it tends to be very analytical, hence analysis. It's very much, you're with another person, you're four days a week, um, and, and it's very much talking through your issues, uh, usually not directly, usually kind of indirectly. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Why? Like that kind of stuff. Um, and, and then you kind of come to understand yourself, connecting the conscious, the unconscious, right. all that kind of stuff. And it worked really well. It wasn't a panacea, though. It didn't solve all my issues. So then the next sort of, it's kind of like stacking skills on top of each other. I stack therapy modalities on top of each other. So the next thing I really kind of got into was med. I tried yoga for a while and it's like, this is crappy meditation and crappy exercise combined. Didn't really didn't uh, work for you. Yeah. It didn't work for me. So I tried to separate the two things out. I already exercised, but uh, tried just meditation. And at first I was like, ah, meditation's easy. You just block (laughs) everything out. Right. That's not doing it right. (laughs) Totally wrong. So uh, once I, uh, I so kinda, what did you start with? Like when you say meditation, because I right. kind of had a similar journey. You kind of start looking it up, and you're like, "Where do I start? Like, what did you do?" So, um, right. I, normally, I start with reading stuff. So I like I read a bunch of stuff, and I was like, it, it "Just I'm not an expert on meditation, obviously, but most of what's written about it seems like nonsense to me, okay. or it seems like um, trying to explain the unexplainable, right? right. Yes, uh, at best. Yes." Uh, and so I actually ended up going back to primary sources. So instead of reading a bunch of what other people say the Buddha said, uh, you can actually just read, you know, it's like, don't listen to your preacher, go read the fucking Bible. Right. Right. Yeah, you yeah. Can, if you're a Christian, read Christ's words. If your uh, meditation started with, uh, at least as I understand it, uh, the Buddha is one of the first people who really kind of systematized it. Uh, not right or wrong, but at least start there. So I, I read, uh, um, some primary sources and it seemed like uh, the way to meditate it was very clear he explains it very clearly and everything after that just seems like yeah. commentary right it's not right or wrong some people love it great no problem i didn't need anything more than basic instructions lotus position you know spine upright blah blah, blah uh, focus on your breath uh and then you know recognize your thoughts accept them no judgment let them have their say it's a, it was more than enough for me yeah um the thing that really struck is sort of like you can't it's not enough to know the Buddha's teachings. You must uh, walk the Buddha's walk or whatever. The point is you got to actually do it yourself. Right. Um, I had a similar, that's the only way to learn it. I had a similar um, kind of thing that happened because I was talking to a friend about meditation. Um, she kind of directed me in, into the into a specific way, but I would try and talk to her. She was like, no. She was like, these are answers. These are questions and answers you need to figure out yourself. And I said, well, what about, is there any books I should be reading, et cetera? And she said, no, no don't do that. Yeah. She, the, the only answer you can find is within yourself, and that's the way to go. Right. Um, so I... Uh, Right, like I said, at first it seemed easy, but that was just blocking everything out. And then once I stopped doing that, then it's it's actually yeah. crazy hard. Meditation is. Yeah. How hard could it be to sit there by yourself and focus on your breath for twenty minutes or an hour? It's actually really hard. Yeah, yeah. If you're doing it right, it's something so simple to understand is actually incredibly hard. Which I think why so many people want to make it complex to avoid the actual work itself. How do you feel about the current? trend in tech which is trying to systematize meditation you know what they usually talk about mindfulness because that that's it's sort of like um it's like it's like oh we're gonna exercise but not sweat right i i don't know how you separate mindfulness from meditation i'm not the expert but it seems to me like all those people are kind of figuring out a way to meditate without actually having to sit quietly with yourself Yes. Oh, well, if I just focus on this, then it's the same thing. It's not the it's same not thing. It's not the same thing. It's total BS. Yes. Um, it's not to say that, like, you can't use it's a good relax. Or... It's a good relaxing tool, right? It's a good relax. You'd much rather have somebody looking at a, a thing of, you know, a stream that's flowing rather than right. killing somebody, right? But just watching that is actually, you're not fixing things. It seems like an time. avoidance tool. Yes. It's a way to avoid the actual work, you know? And it's not that, like, apps or whatever can't help you, whatever. But, but they, like, they can become a crutch. It can become it's a way to avoid, yeah. I mean, it seems, it seems to me the ones who read the most books, who know the most about meditation, are often the ones who don't actually. Uh, you, you feel like, man, you don't seem like someone who actually is meditating. You don't seem that centered or that calm, right. or you know, whatever. Right. 
Um, now, was there any point? So you started meditating, psychoanalysis. Well, those two worked well together. Yeah. Because you're you're going at the same goal from totally opposite directions. Yes. One is talk therapy. One is self reflection. Yes. And between those two, there's almost nowhere for your problems to escape, which actually is really hard because then all the stuff you've run from your whole life is coming up. So, know? and we just talked about you know don't listen to people when they tell you what to meditate, but if because I, I get this question all the time, how do I start? And I usually kind of either point them in the direction, whether it's Buddhism or whether it's just like a meditation practice, et cetera, and right. just kind of leave it up to them because I'm not going to sit there with them and do that. That you know, it's something you have to do. When somebody, when people approach you and say, how you know, how should I start meditating or what should I do? What, what's Tucker Max's take? I, you're going to think this is very condescending, but it's seriously not. I tell them, do you have five minutes that you can spare? Yeah, of course. Okay, for the first week, five minutes, sit in a chair. Or uh, sit cross-legged on the floor, on a pillow, wherever is more comfortable with you. But those two, like make sure your spine's up. Like, Although I actually started for the first six months laying down. It was way easier for me until I transitioned up. But I'm like, do it for five minutes. And like, five minutes? Yeah. That I'm like, eh. If you try more, it's you're actually you're going to set yourself up for failure. If you can go five minutes a day for a week, then do seven minutes. Yeah. Then do 10, then do 12, then 15 then 18, then 20, uh, uh, because you're going to create that momentum and whatever. And like, well, how do I do? I'm like, sit in a quiet room by yourself, eyes closed, breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth and focus on your breath. Like literally focus on inhaling, focus on exhaling, feel it. Uh, what'll happen is all these crazy things are going to come to your head. Don't push them away. I, I tell them uh, the acronym I always use is because uh, easy to remember is RAIN. So um, uh, recognize the thought, accept the thought, allow yourself to investigate the thought, I, and have no judgment right. of the thought, like or of yourself, or even of the thought. Like it could be a crazy thing, or, or painful, or anything. Let it just examine it as a thing that's going on in your head. Uh, don't judge yourself. Whatever. And eventually, uh, whenever you can, just come back to focusing on your breath yes. uh, as much as you can. But don't force it. Like, you can't push the thought away. It's got to have its space, right? Um, and just do that. And they're like, it can't be that simple. It really is. Right. Everything else you'll figure out on your own. It's funny. It's simple yet hard at the same time. It's just, really hard to and, do. And life is all about this paradox. Yeah. It's simple it's yet simple hard. It's simple to understand, but hard to actually Now, was do. there any type, was there any time, was there any experience um, when you first started meditating, whether it's like the first couple of weeks or anything, is there any kind of shift that Tucker had where it was like you had a great experience and it was like, wow. Yeah, it wasn't shift. great. It was bad, but it was a shift. It was um, uh, one, of the, one of the great, I think, Buddhist scholars, Pema Chodron, has this quote. If you haven't cried when you're meditating, you haven't meditated. And I didn't really understand what she meant until I was like four or five months, six months into meditation. I started meditating um, and I'll, I'll never forget the very first time I meditated. I was laying, it was in this apartment in my, what used to be my bedroom. Um, and uh, my dog came up and she like, like I opened, I heard this and I felt this like air and I opened my eyes and she was right on top, like looking out because she was kind of confused. Like, like you don't normally lay on the floor like this. What's going on? And I was like, no, Murph, it's okay. And she sniffed me and she's like, all right. And then she laid next to me. Right. And so she used to always lay next to me when I was meditating. Um, and then uh, whatever, a few months later she died and it was very painful. Like the dog was, I was very close to yeah. her. Um, and, uh, and uh, I kept meditating, whatever. And then about three months or four months after she died, um, I was meditating. And I, like I thought I processed her death, but I, whatever. I grieved. And man, I'm telling you, it fucking just came. Yeah. Like, I mean, heaving, convulsing sobs. Probably the most I've ever cried in my life about anything. Uh, maybe going back to when I was like an infant or something. I mean, it was crazy. Uh and it was not fun going through it, uh, but I stayed with it. You went, you stayed with it, went through it. Stayed with it. Kind of felt the sadness the whole way through. I, I let it have its sort of say, and um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be sad the rest of my life that she's gone. Right. But like, it was really um, hell. I had not done, and you have to do that. I had not processed the emotion, or even dealt with it at all, and. That and then I, I I've done I've had a few other things like that but sure. that was really the time where I was like fuck man this is powerful this yeah. is no joke I um I have 
I know that that it's possibly going to happen to me because my I have a little Brody. She's five pounds. Actually, she's six pounds. She's morbidly obese. She's six right. pounds. She's supposed to weigh five pounds. Yeah. And uh, anytime I go to meditate at home and she's around, she comes and sits on my lap. Yeah. And so it's funny as I go into it, I'm like, cat or dog? It's a dog. Okay. <laughs> and I know that I'm going to eventually have to process that yeah. at some point. So um, well, I appreciate you sharing that. So now, now you're now you're meditating. Now you're psychoanalysis. And so let's maybe fast forward to kind of you know a couple years ago, right? Mm. Um, and one of your articles, you actually said that you wanted to start something meaningful. So it almost kind of feels like this kind of, I hate to be cliche, but like this hero's journey, this warrior's mm. journey, you kind of built it up, got knocked down. And then now you're kind of like looking back, kind of scarred and saying, you know, I, I'm going to do something meaningful this time. And so what is it that, what was driving that meaningfulness behind it? Well, the thing, it's funny, I, I want to, uh, not to be like a, uh, semantic about words but you said you wanted to start something meaningful it's actually not true that that's the old way i would think is i want to start something meaningful because i want a thing you know i want to do that thing gotcha, right gotcha. it was actually not it was more i want to do something that is meaningful mm-hmm. which are different things dude like you think oh what's the difference it's actually a big difference sure if you're doing something meaningful um, that means there's actual action that's happening and it's not necessarily you doing it. It's just, it's a, you're involved in something meaningful. Start something meaningful is like, I, I need, the, it's a more of a narcissistic Got it. Uh, thing. I have to be careful. You probably don't have that issue. I have to be careful thinking that way. Okay. If I get back into old patterns, um, it, I, I can always tell if I am. But so the thing is, I didn't go out looking for it because if you go looking for it, it's just not, you can't force that. Yep. Right. And so it's what I'm doing now. My company, Book in a Box, it totally fell into my lap. Um, And I think it's so funny. Um, It's so hard to see the impact of the work you do. Sort of like working out. If you're like kind of fat, you go to the gym once, has no impact, right? But if you go to the gym every day or whatever, three days a week for three months, all of a sudden you look in the mirror and you're like, holy shit, I've got out. Where the fuck did these abs come from, right? right? And I, I feel like uh, therapy and meditation work the exact same way. Like you feel like nothing's happening and you're just frustrated with it. And you're just like, ugh, this is the worst. And then all of a sudden, something that used to not work or be terrible or opportunities you never had are all of a sudden right there in your face, right? And it happened, this is exactly how it happened to me. So I was at an entrepreneurial dinner and this woman asked me the same question that I've been asked ever since the first day I published a book. Uh, Oh, what's your book about? Okay, great. I don't care. What I really want to know is how do I write a book? Right. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. And so she's like an entrepreneur and really busy. She's like, I don't have time to sit at a computer for a year. How else can I get a book done? And I was like, are you asking me how to write a book without writing it? And she's like, yeah. And so I kind of went back into my old sort of elitist <laughs> bullshit nonsense ways. Oh, lecturing her about hard work and the writer's life and all this nonsense. And so she eventually stopped me. She's like, this is an entrepreneur dinner. Are you an entrepreneur? I said, yeah, of course. She's like, mm, I don't know. Because I am an entrepreneur. I spend all day helping people solve their problems. Are you going to lecture me about hard work or help me solve my problem? And I was like, oh, it was such a gut punch. Because she was totally right. I was totally being a judgmental, arrogant prick. And so I had to reframe the entire thing. How do I get, she, she knows what she's talking about. She's very smart and accomplished. She doesn't want to sit at a computer for a year typing. How do I, I didn't think it was possible. Right. Like there's no other way to write a book yeah. other than write it. Until it occurred to me, Socrates never wrote a word down. Plato never wrote, or uh, uh, Buddha never wrote a word down. Yep. Jesus never, Malcolm X, all these brilliant men and women who basically laid the foundations of Western culture had scribes who wrote their words down. They, they said these things, they thought them, but someone else put it on the paper. Why can't we create a different uh, sort of system, right? Yeah. Again, it's about not thinking about me, it's about thinking about the actual thing. Like, well, are we gonna help this person or not, right? And so I kind of hacked this process together. I honestly didn't think it was gonna work, but it was just a way to like, I, I, I know story really well, I know books well, so I was like, all right, how do I structure her, how do I interview her, structure her idea, create an outline, get the content out of her head through interviews, and then kind of, you know, turn into a transcript and then edit it into a book. So we tried it and it worked great. Yeah. This amazing book came out of her Uh, because she knew what she was talking about. She just didn't know how to do all the details of putting her knowledge into a book, which I did. And so um, it worked amazing. And then like out of... 
if I believe, I don't necessarily believe in a lot of supernatural stuff, but if I believed in like all of that, I'd have been like the universe absolutely decided this was going to be a moment. thing. Yeah. Once I was, I let myself see it yeah. and I, and I made it not about me and about being a writer, but about solving a problem for a person. Then like all of a sudden, dude, she referred a bunch of people. I did a podcast where I talked about the process. I did a podcast about something totally different. Talked about this. Incidentally, like five people called me up, signed up, paid money for it. We did like $200,000 in sales before this was even a company. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I, I, and I felt, you know, honestly, I felt stupid because for a decade, people have been asking me, how do I get my ideas into a book? And my answer had always been elitist snobbery. Yeah. When there was a way, there was no tech. I didn't invent some technology that didn't exist. Right. There was always a way. I just didn't put it together. I was too stuck in myself to do that. And once I got out of the way, then um, now we're a year and a half, two years old. We've done about 250 books. And some of these books have like saved lives, literally changed people's like uh, all we did. All we are is the conduit to right. get the, the ideas out of people's heads into books. We're not the ones writing the books. Someone else gets all the credit as they should. It's their books. Right. But um, how do you how do you compare yourself now just in terms of the the work that you're doing now as opposed to, you know, 10 years ago, et cetera. Do you find yourself? I mean, I was writing books about my life. There's, there's nothing more selfish to do, which I, I, don't, which is, I don't even want to say it like as a, as a disparaging thing, like what I was doing is wrong or bad. Right. I don't think it was at all. But when you're an entertainer who tells stories about yourself, uh, you know what's funny is, my, if you actually read the books, I'm telling you, there's, there's stories about what I did, but you, you laugh, they are about the reader. Because right. to yes. me, because everything in the book is about making the reader laugh or making them entertained, right? So I was actually really good at that. The problem is I got caught up in everything around it, and I thought I thought I was writing successful books because I was such a genius. It's not true. I had a specific skill that I was pretty good at, and I worked hard on to develop, and um, that's why I was successful. And as soon as I thought it was like. I was, I, th I thought my shit didn't stink. Right. Nonsense. And I kind of lost my way. That's why the movie failed. Uh, and I could have done a lot more with that p part of my life if I had kept being centered. And I wasn't. Now, I, I kind of had to fail at that to learn. Now the company's like, dude, I already fired myself as CEO of my own company because I wasn't a good manager. Yeah. Like I was great at building this process and great at kind of coming up with it and getting us to a certain point. But like, if we're gonna actually scale and be a great company, we had to bring in someone who was way better than me. And that actually, I thought I was like, oh yeah, I'm on meditation, I'm all great. And that was, I wasn't as good as I thought. It's, it's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah, it was hard. And uh, but thankfully, I learned it quick enough to we identified the right guy. He was a client of ours. So you're no, you're no longer the CEO of Book in a Box. You have somebody. No, no, no. I'm still. I mean, obviously, I founded obviously, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I still work in the company. Now I'm basically the CMO. I'm the chief marketing officer. Like right. I. The thing I'm good at is what I spend all my time doing instead of having, I have to be the boss and I have to have the title. Um, he was a client of ours and he'd already built a huge company. He loved what we were doing. He's like, this is amazing. Yeah. You guys are sitting on a rocket ship and um, long, long story short, it was hard for me to swallow that, but it was actually the, the way I did it, man. It, I, it's almost like a, a, like a phrase. I should probably put it on my wall. It's like, when I make it about me, I fail. When I make it about us, I succeed. When it's not about me, we succeed, right? You know, it's, it's funny because, uh, and I'll share something too. It's, it, we're, we've been going on five years now, and um, it, it's been on my mindset too of, is, am I, I've got us here to five years, right? right? Am I the right person to take us to 10 years, 15 years? And it's something, I don't know the answer to that. But I know it's something I'm starting to contemplate on now too, which is it's 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 a very hard pill to swallow, and it's very, it's very interesting, and it's all part of that journey. Um, you mentioned the movie, and I keep bringing the movie up, but this this is the last question I'll ask you about it, all which right. is, do you think that that in your in your writings and what you're saying it was like one of the worst things that happened to you? Do you think it actually was actually one of the best things to happen to you? So it's like the the paradox thing, right? Um, I'm never gonna sit here and be like, oh boy, I'm super glad that this awful, painful, terrible thing happened to me, right? right? Um, uh, but long-term, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me as a human. Because, I'll tell you, if that movie had succeeded, I would have been um, stuck in my life. I, you would have never been able to tell, no one would have ever been able to tell me anything ever again. I would have really thought that, that 
I would have become one of those people. You, you've met these guys. And it usually happens to guys, not as much to women. Like, you met the guys who, like, still dress like they did 20 years ago and still, like, they peaked and then they never evolved beyond never evolved. that. Yeah. I think I would have become just like that. Uh, I think uh, I had to really uh, suffer a painful failure and I had to learn that it was my fault in order to go through the changes that, that needed to happen for me to kind of make that leap to the next level. And because of that, I went through all the painful work uh, and, and I, my wife is an amazing woman, never would have been into me if I had not gone through all that work. We wouldn't be married. If I had kids, it'd probably be with some terrible person out of wedlock. It'd be some nonsense, like some broken family. Who wants that? I never would have started this company. It never would have gotten to the level it is. I might have been successful at something else, yeah. but it would have been the type of success where like, I know a lot of sure. really successful people and most of them are really unhappy. Um, and... I would have defined success before as money made, popularity, fame, wealth, status. Yeah. Now I define success as um, the first most important thing is do I have great relationships with the people I love? Uh, and the, the second thing is am I doing work that matters to the world right. and to the people I care about? And if the answer to both of those is yes, then I'm a success and everything else is cream. Like I'm never going to be like, Oh man, I'm really pissed off that I have a lot of money or something, or I made a bunch of money. I'm not gonna be upset about it, but at the same time, it's like I don't know anything else really that like I need that money's gonna get me that I don't have. Sure. Like I would love to fly private, but if I never do, it's not a big deal, <laughs> yeah. right? I, I, there's always things to get. Sure. But there all there's things that would be nice to have, not things I need to be happy. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Now, do you find that? And I find myself doing this too. Do you find that Tucker is? Uh, how do I put this? Do you beat yourself up a lot? Yes. You way do. Too, it took me a long time to actually accept this. It's funny you're talking about this because I was talking about this um, uh, with somebody the other day. Um, I'm pretty hard on other people. Anyone you ever meet who's really hard on other people is, is it because they're really hard on themselves. Uh, and that's sort of their way of externalizing it or dealing with it. Um, yeah, and then in other ways, I'm not hard enough on myself, you know. Sure. Like I'm, or I'm not honest enough. But yeah, uh, I'll tell you. Has that always been the case since the since you know the start like after college, or has yeah, it been more? I mean, anyone who has an outsized, really extreme drive for uh, any sort of success, but especially fame, is filling a, trying to fill a hole in their soul. I'm no different. Uh, same thing. I'll tell you what's really helped me uh, get this under control and face it is having a son, because like. A son is like a mirror and a sponge, man. A, a kid, any kid, a daughter would be the same thing. Um, like, if I'm too hard on him, it's like if I'm too hard on myself, eh, you know, right. whatever, right? And if I'm too hard on maybe other people, adults, it's like I can rationalize that. You can't rationalize it with a kid, man. Like, and you can see it if you're if you're honest with yourself and you're willing to look at it. You can you can see when you hurt that kid. Um, even if you're not trying to, right? Exactly. Right? Like if you yell or whatever, you can see it on their uh, face. When you when you either raise your voice, or you do something, and so, and and they turn and look at you, and just right. cut, and the, the look that, comes out. It's just like, oh shit, this, that that fear I, oh. and that sadness and whatever. Yeah. And man, if that doesn't break your heart and inspire you to change, then nothing on earth will. You know. So the uh, one question I actually had is a, it's a selfish question, which is. Um, while you're doing a meaningful business, you have a, you have a meaningful drive, right. you could say. Um, how do you separate, what's the difference between that and um, being emotionally attached to something? So you want to do something meaningful, yeah. but how do you balance that yeah, with being a great question. emotionally so, attached? Um, so here's the way I, I try and do it, is I focus on being emotionally attached the ultimate goal is to non-attachment, right? Like, um, right. I, I'm not a Buddhist in the uh, mystical sense, but definitely as an ethical system sure. to approach life, I think it's fantastic. Um, but I'm still human, so I'm still attached to things. So uh, I tr what I try to do is be attached to the process. Like, uh, get up every day, do things you love, uh, do things to work on that matter, um, uh, and, and make sure they're directionally correct. And the result will take care of itself. Right. Right. 
if I stay attached to the working the process every day, then I'm going to end up creating great results that matter to me and matter to the world. If I focus on the result, then um, uh, I'm usually going to not. I'm going to be distracted, and not do the process. There's a great um, uh, like a Zen saying about this: like if you want the trophy, aim at the target, focus, stare at the target, focus on it, aim at it, you'll hit it and get the trophy. But if you uh, aim at, if you focus on the trophy, right. you won't see the target. You'll miss it, and you get nothing. Um, it's kind of like one of those paradoxes, right? Um, you've got to, if you're going to be attached, be at- attached to the work itself, not the result that the work produces. No, that's, that's absolutely excellent. And because I would even say in the beginning days of alternative daily, it was more of, like you said, being attached, you know, to the trophy. And more recently of the past couple of years, it's been, let's, let's, let's focus on, you know, the target, you know, let's focus on actually changing people for the better or, mm. or helping them yeah. change for the better. So in, in kind of keeping with this, um, this, this meaningful, uh, theme, you know, the, uh, there's a current event that's actually happening right now with, um, and if you're not familiar with it, uh, um, Hulk Hogan actually <laughs> is suing Gawker, um, over, he won, he won. Um, and we won't, we've covered it on the site, but basically he had a sex tape, um, that well, was no, 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 hold on. Uh, uh, someone recorded him having sex with a woman without his knowledge and Correct. permission, at least supposedly. Supposedly it was Bubba right. the Love Sponge and his wife. Um, and that tape got leaked to Gawker and we're mm-hmm. stepping over a whole bunch of different things, yeah, right? Yeah. But just to get to it. Um, and, but Gawker's not and known. They put it up on the internet. They, they put it up on the internet and everything. Gawker's not known for necessarily being a place that wants to produce positive change and no. build people up, no. right? No. Um, there yeah. is some good reporting out of there. They, they, they do cover some news, et cetera, but it seems a lot of snarky reporting. It seems mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, arrogant type of things. Mm-hmm. Now, um, as someone who has wrote some, how do I do this? Uh, as somebody who's some wrote some, some, uh, uh, some very, um, polarizing stuff, mm-hmm. right? Um, what is Tucker's take? Dude, on- I've been in the crosshairs at Gawker for a long time. Like they've published all the worst shit anyone's right. ever said on me on the internet. It's basically been on Gawker. So, where this snarkiness comes from, it can produce a very toxic environment, right? So, and then on top of this, you have, this is, it just kind of gets even more complex. You have Peter Thiel, who is actually funding, because it costs Hulk Hogan money to, to right. run this thing, et cetera. So now you have a, a tech founder from Silicon Valley who is actually funding Hulk Hogan's case because, mm-hmm. we're, we're going down the rabbit hole, because Gawker had outed him a couple years ago, uh-huh. um, which it brings up this kind of, you could call it a moral dilemma. You could call it a dilemma of, you know what, there is the, the right to free speech, but then there's also the right to privacy. And yeah. I don't want to get your take on well, that. Well, so, like, I, I actually don't understand what the dilemma is. It's perfectly legal to finance, third-party finance litigation. Um, in fact, it's, it, it's a sure. massive industry in this country because when you have a huge evil corporation uh, a lot of, that, that, that hurts someone, uh, a lot of times you've got to get outside money to fight them, right? That's if if anyone likes, if you like Aaron Brockovich, you like third party financing of right. litigation because she got people to finance her litigation, uh, uh, whatever. So, I think there's no problem with that. Um, uh, so that system itself, and there's not an issue here of free. I, I don't understand the issue. It's not like Gawker paid the jury to convict, or uh, uh, Peter Thiel paid the jury to convict Gawker. Right. Like, the, Gawker released. Uh, without permission, a sex tape of someone, right? They broke a lot of pretty clear laws. A jury convicted them. A separate panel of judges upheld the conviction, right? So Peter Thiel didn't buy any of those people. Right. He just paid for the lawyers to present that uh, in court. It, he could have lost. Yeah. If, if what Gawker had done... If our community and our judges and our juries thought what Gawker did was cool, they could have just ruled in favor of Gawker. Right. And then this wouldn't be a controversy. It's not a free speech issue. There is no free speech issue at all. In fact, this is the antithesis of a free speech issue because they actually did release the tape. Right. No one says free speech should not have any consequences. They say you should be able to say what you want. And then, then sometimes you got to pay the piper, man. Right. Right, and and it, this is not this is not some crazy 
runaway jury. This is a really well-established principle of law. Most people thought Gawker would lose, right? Right. That's why they tried to negotiate a settlement multiple times before the case went to trial. The, the reason uh, uh, Hulk Hogan didn't have to take a low settlement is because Peter Thiel was bankrolling it. Right. I think it's amazing. I think it's fantastic. I think people should have to suffer consequences of their actions, both good and bad. And that's what's uh, happening here. There's no free speech issue. When you break the law, sometimes you're going to be held. When you're a bully, right. sometimes someone needs to step up and punch you in the nose back. And that's what happened. Does Do you see Gawker, because um, they're, they're, they're doing the whole appeal process, uh, do you see Gawker maybe changing their tone going forward? Or do you think it's just going to continue to be a very um, biased outlet? They're always going to be who they are. The question is, how far do they push it now? Yeah. Um, they're going to lose the appeal. I think this is going to end up... Denton's going to have to end up selling this and somehow portioning off the... Um, the We'll see how far this gets. I'm pr I, I, I would be shocked if Hogan doesn't end up getting some large portion of the money. They're basically going to have to liquidate the assets and sell the IP to another media company. Right. Um, I think it's fantastic, man. Like it shows media is not beyond the reach of the law, you know. Like that you can't just do anything you that want to true. people. That's not okay. We're very careful when we publish publish anything. <laughs> so it's not okay, right? It's not okay. Uh, and no one has ever said that. Oh yeah, uh, free speech doesn't mean there's no consequence. That, that's really all. It, you know what's crazy about this? Think about this. A gay man helped a working class hero fight a large corporation. Yet somehow people right. are trying to make this an issue of like uh, free speech and trying to paint Gawker as the small, scrappy. Gawker's a $200 million a year company. Right. They're a large, evil corporation. You know, say what you want about, I mean, Peter Thiel's a gay man. Hulk Hogan is a working class hero. If you believe in America, it seems like the side you should, they're fighting for uh, the, the freedom for Americans to have sex in their own homes and not have to have it broadcast right, anywhere they want. If you're a, to, to me, there's no question what side you take. Uh, uh, I don't know. That's that's where I come down on that. No, that, that's that's good, and because that's you know that's what I've been thinking as right. well. Um, it's you know at what point can we you know and, and privacy does go into it, right? You know at what point does you know, if somebody coming in taking a you know a video of me and then posting it somewhere and somebody saying hey you know Jake Jake consent. talked about sex one time on a podcast so we can actually go out with it so. Um, mm -hmm. I understand. So, and then let's take another hard right real quick as we're kind of wrapping this up, going into kind of meaningful work. Right. Um, there's a pretty meaningful job that's up for grabs in November, right? And there's, uh, there's at this moment in time, there's a there's three candidates. You could say maybe two. Right. Um, I actually want to just get Tucker Max's take on right. the current, you know, uh, president, United States presidential candidacy and and the election. Right. I mean, so from what angle? Because there's so many <laughs> angles to look at this. So you know. It, let's actually play off the let's play off the meaningful thing um, because I think as we evolve this is something I actually and I hate the word believe um, but uh, I'd like to see which is I do believe we're evolving to a better place this is something I I have kind of this understanding of and so the current candidate and we just ran an article on this yesterday of you know 70% of Americans just aren't happy with it right. and so I'll ask a direct question. Do you think that there is an opportunity, although it might be late, for a third-party candidate to no, rise? Not no, not realistically. Uh, maybe. Uh, I, I think it's entirely possible that Hillary Clinton, just talking about politically, tactically, totally possible that she gets indicted uh, prior to the Democratic convention and um, uh, the Democrats end up... Uh, I, I don't think they're going to go with Sanders uh, for a lot of tactical reasons. Um, it's going to be tough for a Northeast Jew to win a national election, um, just just tactically, not, sure. not anything about my opinion about him or whatever. Uh, but I could see them bringing in like a, like a, 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 a Biden Warren ticket. Yeah, uh, she would have to be indicted though. Like I could absolutely see the Democratic machine doing that. Um, and then those two come in without having to have to go through the slog of primaries, whatever, uh, and they're a lot more palatable compared to Trump right. than Hillary is. Uh, and I think it, um, 
I could see them doing that. And in fact, if I was just from a tactical perspective, like a Machiavellian perspective, if I was a democratic, uh, a high level dem- Democrat, that's what I would try and sure. make happen. Now, you know, it's, it's something I get asked to um, regarding kind of the Trump Clinton thing, especially Sanders. Um, Part of, I would I actually I'm not voting for Trump, um, but the one thing and it kind of gets brought up, which is you know he says what's on his mind, etc. Right. Um, and that can be dangerous when you're dealing with you know other you know major foreign right. people. Um, the the one nice thing though about it is because how many times have you have you seen politicians get asked certain questions and they just kind right. of duck and dodge and he'll come out. So there is a little bit of a benefit to kind of seeing what's behind the you know those eyeballs in right. there. But what you're getting is something that's not necessarily. Uh, palatable to some foreign leaders. Yeah, I mean, I, I, so here's, I, I think both Trump and, and Clinton are both monsters for totally different reasons and in very different ways. Uh, I think either one is a minor disaster as a president, to be quite honest. Um, Do you think but, either of them last four years? I mean, last um, last more than four years? No, 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 no. no I'd, be, I'd be shocked. But um, the thing that is really interesting to me is what this election I think is showing. You talk about we're evolving to a better place. I think actually Trump and Sanders are showing that people, I think, are finally fed up with the bullshit of the system. Sure. And I think almost everyone voting for Trump, just like almost everyone voting for Sanders, are not voting for either of those two. They're voting for the the opposite of the normal system. Yeah. Right? And do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? I've always said my whole life, you can't change a system. You have to build a new one. You know, and I, I don't think not that I think we need to tear down the United States, but I think our current two party system and the way that our government has created this massive unelected bureaucracy is a disaster. And I think that system has to be dismantled. Um, and it's nothing at all like the system this country was founded on. It's nothing at all like the founders intended. Yeah. Um, and, and so I have no problem evolving to a different way to run America. And there's a lot of different options. Do you think in the grander scheme of things, this is actually good for, for the country? Yes. Uh, like if you think the status quo is great, then, um, I feel like you aren't paying attention. You know, uh, I, I can't stand Trump or Sanders to be honest, but the thing I, like we were talking about this before. I feel like Sanders actually believes what he says. Sure. He is a sincere man. Yes. And although he would he would uh, run a, a taco stand into the ground uh, if he <laughs> if he had a job, nonetheless, at least I think he's sincere, yes. right? Yes. Um, uh, Trump, I think, is an utter disaster as a human, a, a deep narcissist, all these awful things. But at least he's like the monster that's like, okay, at least he admits he's a monster, right? Clinton doesn't even have a personality. She'll just be anything. Right. She's a, a liar and a cheat and a fraud and like the worst craven kind of politician that exists. And so like um, I would rather a monster tell me it's a monster than pretend it's not, right? Which I think a lot of people, uh, that's what they're appealing to and uh, that's what they're uh, drawn to in Trump. Um, is like at least he's honest about his nonsense, right? right? Um, no, I think he. I, I I'm not worried at all about him if he's elected being like destroying the country. The president has so little power compared Correct. to what people think, and, and and in a weird way, I think it might be good because uh, if we're gonna elect, like it's like one of those things where it's like okay. Uh, the country is going to show the the established ruling elites we're tired of your bullshit and we're going to elect the worst person we can think of. Right. Now you can deal with him for four years. Right. Now let's all galvanize around this awful person. Now you've got to listen to us and now you've got to affect real change because yeah. we'll like we'll, we'll, this is how serious we are. We put a, 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 a narcissistic, idiotic clown in the White House to show you our disdain for the system. Right. And so then maybe he actually does a terrible job and no war is going to start. It's nonsense. But like he does a terrible job and the next time it paves the way for someone like Mark Cuban or Michael Bloomberg or someone who's like really smart who actually will do things. Sure. Because now that person can't, the way the system is, it's so broken and messed up that person can't get elected. They wouldn't even run. But now after Trump, it's like, okay, like now I now the people are seeing like stepping up and being like, all right, I know the Republicans or Democrats are just different sides of the same awful monstrous uh, union of just elites trying to keep power. 
Yeah, and it's it's something that you see with the right hand side how they were trying to get a third party candidate and somebody that wasn't Trump. And if you actually look at Clinton, she's she's not that far off of being Republican, so you don't know why they wouldn't rally around no, her. But no. it's just a, just the whole the party line too is, and I hope that I actually hope that this election destroys those party lines because that would it's, be great because it's so even though she's more Republican than than probably even Trump. They just won't rally around. You know what I care about? I care about humans. Yes. I don't care about parties. Uh, and, and I think what this election might do is shift away or even destroy the tribalism of politics, which uh, I, uh, that's almost like trying to go against human nature in a yep. weird way. But um, I don't know, man. There's, there's got to be a better way. Yeah. You do know? you sit this one out? I haven't voted ever in my life. Oh, okay. I, the, no one has ever inspired me, and that's fair enough to, to register and go vote for them. No one. Like I, the closest I ever came was Obama, but I knew he was just another Democrat. And it turns out I was right. Like I just, right. I, I knew he was like a great campaigner, and he tapped into something real. He did, but he was a fraud. Uh, he's just another Democrat, dude. Like he's just another Democrat, and it's like. Um, uh, and I would never consider myself Democrat or Republican. It's just, is there a person? Is there someone I would follow? Uh, and I, I knew Barack. I played co- basketball with him in college. Like, he was a professor at the University of Chicago when I was an undergrad there. Was he good? Uh, yeah, he's acting for a professor. He was really good. Um, not good, like good, good, but good for a professor. And a very nice guy. But, like, I, like, I wouldn't follow that guy. I would barely He's follow that guy to a restaurant, yes. much less, you know. And that's the thing is, and this is what I'm afraid of, is everybody kind of builds these politicians up as you know greater than god type of deal and it's uh, and it's it's not true and that's very scary yeah. um so hard right two questions left um what about tucker max what does he do in his free time like what you, you have you have a child you have another one on the way what do you what do you do for fun I, like uh I, I don't like uh no because i'll tell you uh, my fun is the two things i do um i love my family i love spending time with my wife and kid like it's genuinely enjoyable to me yeah so that's half my time or whatever and the other half is the work I do. Like, do you do you find like do, like there's a big question of work life balance? Does that exist for you? No. Is it they're I, just I, kind that, of like that intermingled? That doesn't make sense to me, because work life balance implies that you don't like work, so you need to balance that out with something else. I do shit I like. Yeah. I like what I do. Like my job is learning and thinking and doing things, talking about things. Sure. Like, I mean, I would have this conversation uh, with you without a mic, you yeah. know? Uh, so, like, I like this. So, I've constructed my life. So, I just do things I like. I, I don't it, need hobbies. Jeff Bezos just said, uh, you know, same thing you did, but he said he actually likes the work-life harmony, which is just if you love what you do on both sides, everything exactly is better. exactly it, right. Like, uh, I love reading and learning. It's part of my job. Yeah. You know? I love, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, Watching, teaching people. I teach my kid everyday stuff. Like, um, I mean, I have interests outside of my family and sure. my work, but they're not, like, I don't spend, I spend all my, the only t- other thing I do, I guess, you know, I take care of myself. I work out, yep. I sleep, whatever, but. Gotcha. I mean, why would you not make your life the things you love doing? That's awesome. What the hell else is Are it? Are we stopping at two or are we going for more? Kids? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. She wants at least three or four. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, listen. It, once you're past two, it all doesn't matter. The, <laughs> I don't the, know. The marginal addition of more three and kids. a half. Three and a half is tough. Yeah, it scarred me. Um, it scarred me. No, we. I mean, we have money. We love kids. That's we awesome. love. I love family. So it's like, why would we not? You know, why the fuck else do I have money? You know, because especially because we can buy time. Yeah. You know, we we already have a maid and a household manager, uh, part time. We can have live-ins. We can. I can afford it. Right. You know? Sure. Um, so we can spend our time working like on things we love and being with the kids. Building your little tribe. I like it. There you go. Uh, last question. So there's always this cliche question of what would your 20-year-old self say? You know, no, what would your 40-year-old self say to your 20-year-old self? Right. I want to reverse that because I often say the same thing too, which is uh, this comes up a lot in my life now, which is I'm a completely different person than I was, you know, 20, 21, 22. Mm-hmm. So I always say my 21-year-old self wouldn't even say anything and punch me right in the face. So what would, what would Tucker Max at 25, 26 say to Tucker Max today? Me at 25, 26 would not believe that, totally believe I had all the success I had. In fact, uh, would arrogantly be like, man, you didn't leverage that movie well. You didn't, whatever, right? Um, would have like criticized it, but um, would have been like, oh, dude, why did you get married? Like, why did you, whatever? Why don't you just keep banging a bunch of girls or whatever? My 25 year old self was extremely 
unevolved, right? And I don't mean it critical of myself then. I had a great time. Sure. But like I I I couldn't even have conceived of who I was going to become at that time. Sure. So I wouldn't even have been able to relate to myself now. Um, it, it just would have been like, I, I, I wouldn't have known how to, it, there's just no bridge I could have seen sure. getting there, you know? Sure. But I was, I, I, I feel like I'm emotionally like 10 years behind where someone should be at my age. So like, at 26, you really should think of me as like a really smart, advanced 16 year old, you know, like for real, like uh, I married a woman who's 10 years younger than me and we're at the same emotional level. Uh, I, I'm just a slow developer, slow learner. Uh, well, I, when I get there, I get there, but I'm 40. I don't sound or act like a 40 year old. Uh, I, you, know, and, you know, it's like, and it's not, I don't mean that as a compliment. Like, yeah. Oh, I look so young. No, I just mean like I act like a younger dude. And mostly it's cause I'm kind of immature for my age. No? That's funny. Well, I think you need to be nicer to yourself. <laughs> well, Tugger, Tugger, thanks so much. I appreciate course, it. Man. My pleasure, dude. And uh, we'll see you guys. Oh, where can we find you? Tell, I'm sorry. Tell us all about yeah, where you can find you. Companies just bookinabox.com. Bookinabox.com. Yep. And yep. then uh, website. My personal site is tuckermax.me. Okay. Yeah. All right. Awesome. And then for us, you can see us facebook.com slash the alternative daily on Twitter at Jake Surfs. And did I miss anything else? We have Instagram. But We'll catch us on youtube.com slash the alternative daily. I'm terrible with that stuff. Yeah, but, and then I always um, forget to. Awesome. Well, thanks, Tucker. I appreciate it. Awesome.